<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to I've Heard That, the podcast from Heard App Marketing that discusses digital marketing trends, tips, and more. Hi, and welcome to I've Heard That. I have two amazing guests today. Welcome, Aaron and Max. Be here. Welcome back. <laughs> Good to be back. Awesome. Um, well, today we've talked plenty about what you can and should do online for your site. And today we're going to give you the list of don't do, should not do that online. Um, I know we've talked before, you guys have seen it all. So tell me a few things that are no goes. Max, let's talk about ADA compliance and just how important that is. I think that's a good place to start because um, the mistakes aren't just uh, like self-contained. They can have consequences. So um, I'd love to start there. Right. Well, um, a trend we've been seeing lately, uh, especially uh, with ADA compliance becoming more and more prevalent and for uh, websites needing to be ADA compliant, specifically if you have multiple locations, um, you are uh, beholden to uh, the American Disabilities Act, um, and that applies online as well. Um, most people try to shoot for AA compliance. Um, that's what we recommend. Um, and there are some kind of some strict caveats with that. Uh, and the biggest one that we've run into is color, uh, making sure that the colors you use for your links, for your headings, those are able to be read. Uh, and I'm talking specifically about contrast. So if you have like a lighter blue or a lighter gray for a heading, that might not be enough contrast unless it's big enough, or it could just in most cases just need to have a color change. And we've been running into uh, clients that have a brand guide that they are clutching onto like it's the Bible and it's, they need to revise it or at least change how they are treating some things online, uh, specifically with ADA compliance. Um, you know, maybe all of their links are a certain color that are not passing anymore. There are ways around that, but those brand guides are living documents, not the 10 commandments written in stone. They need to be flexible. Um, and so you need to, take that into account when you're going through an ADA compliance check. Yeah. So not only can you get in legal trouble, like people have issues using your site. And um, I would say like venture to say like, it's probably best practice anyways, like even if that didn't exist, because it's hard to like, if it's hard to navigate, if it's hard to read, then it's not going to be useful to the end customer anyways. Yeah. Especially in those contrast situations. I mean, <laughs> as a, just as a user, it's kind of hard to read the text if it's not a good contrast. So you're making the average user do more work and then, yeah, you're breaking compliance. So yeah, none of it is, yeah, it's all good advice too. I mean, none of it would be bad. I know for a long time there was a trend to make links not look like links. Um, 
and I was certainly guilty of that too uh, before ADA compliance became more of a thing. Um, but to take the underline off, and so you'd only have to hover over a link to maybe tell that it was a link. Um, it's okay to have text links be underlined. It's fine. We, the early days of the web were all that anyway. Um, it's good to recognize what links are. Uh, so don't be afraid to add the underline back in. Don't just rely on the color. I know it offends some people's personal aesthetics, but, you know, work on the medium that you're in, you know, form follows function. Absolutely. Um, Aaron, what about you? What have you seen that's a no-go? One thing for me personally still is just hidden text. So putting stuff under accordions, there's definitely a time and a place for it. Um, But it's still making the user do more work to find that text. And Google has kind of changed their language on this a bit to say that, especially as we've gone to mobile first, that um, it's okay to, to hide some text. They, they understand that you need to do it on mobile. But um, in the SEO community, we still see that text that's hidden performs um, at a lower level than text isn't. So that text that is visible when the page loads. And um, that's more of an SEO thing. But it, it's something we've seen um, really, really big results time after time again when we just display text on load instead of having it... Um, hidden behind an accordion or a tab or something along those lines. So that's one that I still think is really important. And to, as we're looking at web design, find ways to include that text on the page. Yeah. I mean, it's a balance, right? Like you don't want to have everything with like out from behind the accordion where you have to scroll, scroll, scroll forever and have a hard time finding it. But if it's nested behind those accordions, like you're, it's difficult to find in addition so we've seen sometimes like it's better to take those and split them off into their own section or their own page. Um, so you don't have to choose either. You can. It's like if we had to go hunting for this, then maybe we should just show someone yeah, definitely. Where, where it is. Definitely. And there is a balance there. It's not a black and white thing. And, and I'm not going to argue that it is. But <laughs> um, if it's important, I would display it. I'll make it really easy to find. Uh, my counterpoint... Not really a counterpoint. I agree with everything uh, that both of you said. But uh, if, for instance, the page, we just did a page recently that was mobile first that was being loaded through the client's app. So it's not SEO appropriate. It's mobile only. We And it was a ton of information. We had to use accordions. And that is an instance where it works really well. Accordions or toggles, whichever one you want to, whatever nomenclature you want to use. I prefer toggles because you can open up more than one accordions are kind of stuck with opening only one at a time. Um, but that's an instance where it might be appropriate to use. Um, and I'm talking, it was about 18 sections. Um, so quite a bit. Um, and again, this was not, uh, this is a page that lives on their site that is referenced on, uh, their app, but not in their site map. It's turned to no index, no follow you cannot view it outside of that on a desktop. Yeah. So like the requirements or the end you both the requirements and the end use are completely different than your typical right. FAQ section that somebody needs to go find an answer versus like you mentioned using it from the app. Right. Even and though it lives on site. And a lot of FAQ sections are built um, through keyword research, understanding what users are asking and optimizing around keywords. So in those, if we can, um, because there is a balance, and if there's a lot, it does make sense at times to go to that accordion. But if if 
we can, that's kind of the situation where we'd avoid it. Where in, in Max's instance, uh, definitely a positive user experience move to um, use the toggles there. Yeah, and I, I would say between 6 and 10, if we're talking FAQ specifically, any, any more than that, I would maybe start suggesting we either need to break this up or split it up into its own section or something like that. But between 6 to 10 questions, I think that's pretty reasonable on yeah. a page, I think, um, depending on how long the answers are. Yeah, that has a big role in it, too. If, if it's concise answers, then, yeah, I'd say that's pretty pretty reasonable. And or you can solve a bunch of other ways, uh, you know, like referencing other full like blog articles or using a chat support to like actually walk someone through solving the issue. There's just other options besides a lengthy FAQ. Absolutely. Um, Max, you mentioned a few things as we were talking before. Um, you've seen it all. So share. These are not the uh, <laughs> seen online. Seen it all. Um, yeah, I. Yeah, I can't think of anything specific. Um, I mean, trends throughout the years. I mean, we've gone all the way from full animated sites uh, using Macromedia slash Adobe Flash, uh, where it's all built into a movie, one page. You know, there's one index.html, and then the, your site lives in this movie um, versus going to web standards versus now with the kind of the rise of, I shouldn't say the rise, jQuery has been around for a while, but we're seeing a lot more animation uh, and text um, or just elements on the page that maybe don't need to have that. Um, I recently came across a site uh, that we were talking to um, that every, every text element, every paragraph, had some animation on it to the point where it was very annoying to just even get any information off of the site. Um, you don't need to do that. And so animation's always one where it kind of goes in cycles where, like I was saying, late nineties, early two thousands, there was a lot of animation. We, we pulled away from that, uh, got back to best practices, got back to web standards. And then now we're seeing the rise of animation again. And I mean, yeah, it's, cool but not everything has to have animation to it i mean the most important thing is and it goes back to the ada compliance can i find what i need can i read it quickly can i get to that information quickly um anything that gets in the way of that is poor ux on the seo side what are some more no-goes i know we've talked about sitemaps before yeah um i'm trying to think uh like from a web design perspective. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, I guess this one can be considered directly SEO traditionally, but Max and I were talking about this ahead of, uh, ahead of the podcast, uh, the homepage background videos and, and how much that slows down the load in the site and how much of an impact that actually does have on SEO. Yeah. The now. trade-off. Yeah. The, there's a big, uh, that's a big user experience thing to have a slow site, but Google really cares about page speed and load times now. Um, Because they know people care about it, too. So uh, that was definitely something we touched on ahead of this. Yeah, the the video background, I, I'm like, I, we still get requests for it. And I always plead with them, like, this isn't going to help. You'd be better off taking this money that you're going to use to make a background, a video in the background of a header or a hero image and actually make, like, 
a real honest to goodness brand video that you can load in YouTube or another video player that can help you with your marketing. And you can add that to the page. It, I think you're just better off. Again, the we're starting to kind of see a retreat from the whiz bang, you know, can we do it versus now should we do it? Because you're starting to see negative SEO impacts on these things. Well, yeah, I think we just like, that's a great example where there is a trade-off, like it impacts um, page speed loading time. So um, I, if you were here in the studio, I'd imagine you guys have, on opposite sides of the table, but I think in problem solving, like thinking through how we help um, our clients figure out what, and through the design and SEO planning process, how does this look and what's the purpose of it? Then you can solve it in a way that meets both. You don't have to choose like a super sexy design or like a terrible design, but it like pleases Google because at the end of the day, you have to please the user. That's what pleases Google and following Google's best practice, or you're not going to find any users. <laughs> right, yeah. And I think this ties into another thing, Max, where I was just thinking, like, those uh, background videos don't tie, like, don't translate super well over to mobile, right? So No, they don't at all. We turn them off. I mean, like, most, most places turn it off. There is some software that you can kind of work around it, but, yeah, it's a very poor mobile experience while you're waiting for, I mean, if you're just on cell service <laughs> in the middle of wherever, you know, trying to just get some information in this background video, it keeps trying to load, uh, you're going to lose them. I mean, it's just, again, it's just good UX uh, on top of SEO. I mean, I'm happy that Google's kind of penalizing it now um, because that seems to be the only way people will listen to it. You know, what we say is like, this isn't good for your site. Google doesn't like it. And then they're, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, that gets a little bit more cachet, uh, you know. Yeah. And, and that kind of ties into another thing with people just kind of neglecting mobile at times and in, in the way they design sites. Uh, what are some of the things you're seeing there, Max? And in case you don't know from our previous episodes, you cannot neglect mobile. <laughs> it's now a mobile first index. Yeah, good. Um, and not to mention it's a mobile first index anyways, because people are using mobile for the majority of sites. I get that there's some exclusionary um, industries that yes, are primarily desktop. That's okay. But please, please design and use and plan for mobile. Yeah. I mean, we've even run into those a uh, few clients that are, that tell us that nobody looks at our site on mobile. I'm like, well, Google does. Um, so, or if your customers are going to a trade show, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna optimize it. You know, it might not be like as good as if we were doing it first, but it's still, you know, going to be comparable. Um, yeah, lately it's been kind of the opposite. Or I get lip service, like we we really want this to be mobile first, but everything that they want changed is desktop related, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast. Um, specifically just working with clients it's a work day they're in front of their computer and that's just what they see and that's what they react to first uh so just be sure to always check mobile make sure whoever you're using to build your site is working in mobile uh working in a responsive design um and preferably that's being done first but you know uh, you should pay attention to all of it it's all important um it's all gets back to user experience. 
I'd say one thing I've noticed on mobile at times is a like a hero area on the homepage or or any page really that um, it it looks good on desktop and it's like a, it's a, a cool design kind of like a bold way to start the page but it doesn't say anything itself <laughs> and when that loads on mobile users are not getting any context without having to scroll down the page. Um, yeah, they have to scroll like a full thumb length to get, to get like, oh, there, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's that's one thing for me that stands out as a, a, a bad user experience um, where if you're thinking desktop first, you're really missing out on something on mobile um, to where, we, you know, we'd prefer to have some context, a little bit of intro text and uh, a call to action um, up there in, in that hero area, even on mobile so that people can take action without having to do work or at least get enough context to know they're at the right place. Cause, um, really any page could be a landing page. And I think people forget that too. Um, I think a lot of people who are in their site every day think maybe homepage, coming homepage, through the homepage. homepage and when they're navigating somewhere, they understand the context of where they're going, but really any page can be a landing page. So, um, you have to create that, that positive experience immediately. Yeah. So like weaving um, throughout the site, those calls to actions or those ties back to walking someone through their customer journey, like maybe they need a question answered now and we should introduce the contact form or maybe um, we can help them self-serve by sending them to FAQs. It's not just like what, like, as to your point, like coming in on the homepage and then we navigate to the product section and then we do uh, contact. Like it's not so linear right. always. Exactly. It may be coming back like multiple times on top of that. Right. Yep. Awesome. Um, any other uh, do not do uh, warnings? What do you got, Aaron? Uh, one one thing we talked about a little bit was just um, copy on the site. So there's kind of two two different mistakes that can be made: is um, copy that's written without any design in mind, and and all of that is left up to the designer to try to figure out how to break up massive text blocks and make it you know, make it work in a design and make it a good user experience where people can get through it. Um, and then Max, you kind of had a different experience, a uh, different take on that as well. Well, where design comes first, uh, you're, the text is being treated as just another element on the page to be moved around and not really read through or understanding the context of what the text is trying to get across. Um, I've seen it both ways. Um, and I, me personally, I would rather have all of the text up front and then I can design around that. Um, but I also have a good understanding of like how to break up text and, you know, how to get the points that they want to get across uh, through the design um, so that there's a balance there. But a lot of times I've seen, you know, especially in young designers where the text is maybe like a, like a 30% gray and so you can't read it. I mean, it's just, but it kind of looks cool if you step away from it, but if you try to read it, it's impossible. So not treating it like another design element, but treating text as text and actually reading through it and giving it its proper due and understanding how typography works and how that's going to affect uh, the customers and the user experience. Yeah. And from my perspective, um, having a content SEO and then a user experience background. If I'm thinking about text or, you know, writing copy, um, 
it's important for me to think through the ways it can be utilized in design and its function on a page. Um, and, and I think that that goes a long way and, and really knowing what should be emphasized, what, you know, and being able to communicate that too with designers that, you know, this is a section I really want to stand out and this to be maybe a conversion point or, or something along those lines. So um, on the other side of that too, I think that's a really important part of the process. If you truly want the copy and the design to work seamlessly together. And I think I've seen like this play out many different ways, some better than others, but I like, for example, when you're writing like, your H1 is typically like the main starting point, but then in design, we've seen it like get lost whether it's like H1 is like tiny. And then like, there's this big H2 and you're like, that's not what we were emphasizing. Like then we need to work this backwards. Well, one of two ways we need to decide if the design and the layout's more important in this. And we are working our, our content around that or more often than not, we're like, Hey, no, this is what's supposed to be emphasized. And that's a classic separation of uh, content from presentation. So what we'll see is someone using an H2 because the default size of the H2 or the H6 or whatever looks better in that design than it should, how it should be structured from an SEO perspective where you have H1 is first, H2 is second, H3 third, you know, and it breaks down. Uh, that way is, and I always tell people, um, you know, we can change how that looks through CSS. You know, if you don't want, if you want to de-emphasize your H1, like, okay, I recognize that a, the H1 on this page is important, but like, I don't, I don't want that to be the most important thing on this page. I'm like, that's fine. Visually, we can de-emphasize it, but contextually, in the markup, in the HTML markup, it's still very important, has the same amount of weight, SEO weight, as it would ordinarily. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, so like, let's not confuse search engines just by manipulating the way it looks in design. Through Yeah, through yeah. which header you choose. And yeah, that's definitely something we've seen a lot over the years. Um, and it's it, goes a, through, it goes through cycles. Yeah, and then one of the big issues that comes from that... Um, is often multiple H1s, which gets really confusing for search engines. The other the other tags, H2s, H3s, um, you definitely want to create the hierarchy so it's more of an outline so Google can go through and, and kind of figure out the structure of a page. But multiple H1s, I think, to me, is one of the, the biggest issues that, that can come from taking that approach. We've seen a lot of the multiple H1s in portfolio-type sites where they're displaying an array of work on the homepage, each one of those, you know, that is pulling in, especially if we're, if we're talking in the WordPress nomenclature, it's pulling in a custom post type, a portfolio post type, and it's displaying the title, but it's pulling it in as an H1. And so that's an instance where your theme would need to be modified. So it's displaying H2s uh, if they're all being displayed on one page. And another kind of, at least right now, we'll see what Google does with this, but another consequence of not having a, a clear H1 or one, you know, a single H1 um, is just over the last couple of weeks, and it's a huge thing in the SEO world, is Google has started using H1s as the titles they display in search quite a bit and ignoring what you want them to put there. Um, and they've been using other other things too, like H2s or even like 
little snippets of paragraph text to, to put your title into search results now. Um, but the biggest change has been, or the most common thing they've done is start to use your H1 instead of your HTML title tag. Um, so because you, Google's like, hey, you showed this to me on the page. You think this is most important. And we know what, like normally they're hand in hand, but there have been some surprises. We're like, oh, thanks, Google. You think you know more. Right. And it is because we set it up that way. Yeah. yeah so, um, yeah, if you're treat, if you're not using your headers in a structured way, you might get something really funky coming into search results that, um, and, and the consequence would be way lower click-through rates. Um, so people would see something they don't expect based on the search that they performed. And then from there... Just lose ranking. You, you lose your <laughs> click-through rate and then yep. prob- probably ranking after that. Thanks. Well, thank you guys for walking us through all these things we should not do. Um, For things we should do, go back, listen to some of our earlier episodes, of course. So um, be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe to our podcast. We get new episodes twice a month and they drop every other Wednesday. So happy to have you guys back. Thanks again. Great to be back. Great to be back, Megan. Thank you. I've Heard That is a part of the Heard At Media Network. For more information, follow Heard At on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram, or visit HerdAtMarketing.com. A Huda Media Production.